0: You're listening to Berlin Psychoanalytic Podcast. Professor Peter Fonagy in conversation with Berlin Psychoanalytic, with Dr. Alexander Dubitrievich Dr. Nicholas Lorenzini, and Lisa Malmen.
1: Thank you uh, very much for asking me to um, chat with you this morning. And I'm Peter Fonagy, and I am a psychoanalyst working in London. And I'm also uh, Chief Executive of the Anna Freud Center and uh, Head of the Division of Psychology and Language Sciences here at UCL from where I'm speaking. And uh, I really look forward to a conversation with you this morning about psychoanalysis. Thank you very
2: much uh, to to be here. Uh, If I can complement your introduction a little bit. Uh, Peter is my mentor, I'm the person most important in my career, and to a big extent of my life, and I know that Alexander does share some of that too. Uh, you, you were in the RTP 2011. Oh, that's why I remember your face. <laughs> yeah, I was at the RTP a year before you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so
0: 2009.
3: Yes.
2: Uh-huh. okay. And well, this is. Um, well, Peter agreed to do this with us. We're just going to fire away some questions to see if this uh, uh, ends up being inspiring not only for us,
3: but for the people who follow the channel uh, and psychoanalysis in general. Why do you think you've decided to become a psychoanalyst? How did you come to it? What made you fall in love with
1: it? I fell in love with psychoanalysis from my own analysis. And uh, uh, I was a very depressed a uh, very unhappy adolescent for various reasons. And I was offered therapy by the uh, Hempstead Clinic, now the Anna Freud Center. It was uh, Anne Hurry who was my analyst and uh, she just was a wonderful human being and just made me forever interested in the way that minds work, and how uh, my mind work, how other people's minds work. Uh, she was very insightful, very thoughtful, very human. Um, then, as soon as my analysis finished, which was actually in behavioral terms very successful, uh, I had been an educational failure before, and I got a first-class degree at the end of it, uh, so uh, it was all good, uh, but I had a very ambivalent attitude uh, towards it, and then I went on to um uh, study neuroscience and become interested in um cerebral asymmetry and uh, all kinds of interesting things, signal to noise ratio, stimuli, uh, basically as far away from human beings as you could get, you know, being amplifiers that you could turn dials on was what interested me most and then i got a job uh, at uh, ucl to um, teach um, psychopathology to teach uh, mental disorder and um, that uh, made me think i should really train as a clinician before i did that and i i then started training a clinician and then i uh, went into training analysis and uh, uh, had the usual analytic experience. but the interest in the mind uh, I think is the core that runs through it, the mechanisms of how the mind works, which I think is really at the heart of psychoanalysis as well um, and that's why I'm still remaining in love with psychoanalysis. I haven't I haven't fallen out of love with psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, there is something that you said just in passing, which I think is one of the things that uh, at least Alexander and I are pretty interested when you said I had the typical psychoanalytic training experience. And one of the things that Alexander and I would be, have been uh, studying a little bit or a lot <laughs> is that there is no typical uh, psychoanalytic training. So I wanted to ask you a little bit the details of, of your training. Will uh, we found it that that is Different here, different in France, different in Latin uh, America and uh, Germany.
1: How was yours? Well, I had uh, about four years' analysis with a training analyst before I started my training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went into that analysis with the idea that I wanted to train. Um, maybe. It wasn't quite four years, neither, no, I'm exaggerating, but some it wasn't short. It's quite a few years. But I was accepted um, first time I applied. and then uh, I had another four years in the training with analysis that my training analysis lasted eight years. And um, the um, training itself um, was very clinical. And I had uh, two training patients five times a week. The theory seminars were in the evening. Mm -hmm. Um, They were quite poor uh, in terms of, some of them were very poor, some of them were very good um, uh, in terms of theory, but they were very, very good um, in terms of clinical uh, practice. So, the clinical seminars were very good, and I learned most of what I learned about technique and uh, psychological technique from the clinical seminars that we had. And uh, uh, I valued them. And I went on in my to have clinical seminars in my membership course, you know after I qualified, And I still value clinical discussions in the same way. The key to it in the British system, was having sessions that you reported verbatim. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: that you had a very brief introduction saying, you know, my patient is, you know, 18 year old, the 25 year old, female, whatever, presented, yeah. whatever. But you say very little about them, a little bit about the, the analytic history that, you know, we have been working on this, that, or the other, and then give the session. Mm-hmm. And what we Engaged with each other during the training was how people from different orientations engaged with material, with what the patient said. Um, And that I found massively valuable. Um, And I would say that was the most valuable uh, part of the training. The theory, the reading I did on my own. And I, you know, it was, you know, assigned papers and, you know, Sometimes I read them. Sometimes I pretended to read them, you know, and you're very tired. You know, you're arriving at, you know, you had, you, you treated two patients. You had a supervision. You did a full-time job. Uh, you arrive at uh, uh, a, a theoretical seminar about a paper that somebody's very enthusiastic about. And you just kind of. You you learn to be very you not very intelligently and ask really intelligent questions. That's what it mostly trains you in. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say it was a, a deep training in uh, in the the underpinnings of psychoanalysis. I don't know that I'm disappointing. I'm too old. It doesn't matter. I can see anything. And, uh, <laughs> hey, <done> yeah, <laughs> That's
3: Good. I wanted to mention something that might be before uh, the Freud clinic. In a book about the history of psychoanalysis, I've noticed what I believe is your father's name on the list of prominent intellectuals who had been analyzed in Budapest. That's correct, it seems, from your facial expression. It is absolutely
1: correct. Yeah.
3: Has that been in any way influenced have, were you aware of this growing up or anything?
1: No, I was not aware of it growing up other than other than um he put me into child therapy uh, mm. when I had early um anxieties that were that didn't need therapy actually uh, if now, as a clinician, I would say mm. uh, it was uh, that kind of excessive um enthusiasm for uh therapy that a lot of people in central europe had. um uh i was by adolescence i needed therapy um so i'm not uh i'm just in 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 childhood i was anxious um like most kids are uh, uh and uh but i was put in the therapy did i benefit from that not at all uh, uh but that would now on in retrospect made me think that of of that interest uh that he had and it really wasn't until i became an academic and i became an analyst that my father and i connected properly about analysis um uh you know his attitude i think was always um uh that I should be allowed to find my intellectual, um, uh, my own intellectual uh, line, intellectual interest. So uh, there wasn't a lot of psychoanalysis talked about at home around the uh, kitchen table. Uh, I would say uh, he didn't ever talk about his analysis, ever Um, didn't talk about um, uh, his ideas. but he was deeply uh, influenced by uh, Freud, as a lot of intellectuals in Central Europe were. Um, uh, uh, he, um, I think we had more when he went to France in 1967, he connected with the French psychoanalytic uh, culture. But I think he found it very different from the Hungarian psychologic culture, um very intellectual but very different. Um and um I think he found it a little bit alien. Um so I wouldn't say he was disillusioned by it and, and he wrote uh, uh some books that were very psychological de la Fondation, he wrote in 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 France but uh he was uh, um uh, you know he was no Lacanian uh, uh and he found that quite difficult he was very much uh, a a uh, a very very deeply Freudian analyst who even found ego psychology uh alien uh so and, and, and Kleinian thinking was just like I mean to him absurd um, you know he didn't so um. Uh, but but uh, it's it's an interesting question uh, that you ask. Uh, I, I, I uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that that was the main reason.
3: Wanna continue? I'm very curious about your clinical approach. So many people know so much about your research and your writings, but is there anything specific about how you work with patients or used to work with patients?
1: I still work with patients. I'm an honest psychoanalyst. Uh, uh, I I see um, about two patients a day, um, sometimes more, uh, very rarely less. Uh, yesterday I saw two, the uh, day before. I work in um, uh, psychotherapy. I don't work in um, uh, intensive uh, uh, psychotherapy in analysis anymore. Um, uh, my clinical approach is very influenced by the mentalizing model, um, and uh, uh, I work. Um, on alongside patients, um, exploring their mind. Very much how my analysis was with uh, um, my first analyst, uh, Anne Hari, we explored my mind together. Uh, She interpreted, but not kind of an id interpretation, very rarely, maybe at the end of the session, she would give an ID interpretation of uh, you know, how this related to whatever the Oedipal anxieties uh, might have been that made me talk about, but most of the time she related to me as a human being and thinking alongside me about my life. Um and that's how I work uh, with patients. So it's um uh very much in the here and now. Uh, very trying to be very relational. Um, I, I feel I discovered relational psychoanalysis before relational psychoanalysis discovered itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's uh, very relational. It's all about uh, uh, the patient's relationship with other people, uh, including me. Uh, what they think they feel uh, about others. Very, uh, I do very brief interventions. I don't do long interventions. Uh, And um, it's um, uh, oftentimes um, in the transference. So it's oftentimes thoughts that they have, you know, we work in what in mentalizing world we call relational mentalizing. So, you know, what they think about the therapy, how they see the therapy and uh, 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 how they have their what implications their, what they bring is might be to um uh, their thinking about uh, uh, their experience with uh, me uh, that's pretty much it If you give me a clinical example, I'll illustrate. So you just you role play the patient, and I'll uh, role play the therapist. Just have to. I, I
3: find it very encouraging how you describe this long-lasting positive effect of your first analysis. Sounds sounds really heartwarming in a way.
1: It's it's also very genuine.
3: Yeah. Yes. Uh, of course.
1: It's. Uh, um, uh, I can give you a little episode that I'm sure that uh, Nico has has heard me mention from my analysis. Um, I got um, uh, this is what set my technique. okay? this is will it's answering your technique question really. Um, the um, I had to take uh, a uh, um a train to my analysis from Kew Gardens to Hampstead. Fortunately, it didn't have to change. And then, uh, age uh, 18, I uh, got in a car and passed my driving test. Uh, and uh, uh, I, for the first time, drove to my analysis, which was very early in the morning. It's in fact, it's 7.30. Um, so I got there, um, and uh, of course I lay down on the couch, and, you know, and started, uh, talking to uh, Anne Harry about the drive and how wonderful it was and you know, and, and everything like that. Uh, Anne Harry stopped uh, the the session, which uh, uh, she's never never did before or or after. So then, out of rule, stopped the session. Got up, went to the window, looked out. Came back, sat down and said, Peter, it's a wonderful car. Uh uh and uh that was the that 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 made the whole world of analysis very live for me. Um so you know, recognizing a person where they are at that very moment is what analysis is about.
3: Yeah. And also being alive as an easy.
1: Yeah. What oh, the car was it? It was a Ford Anglia, which they don't they don't make anymore. The <laughs> valuable thing about the car was its number plate, which was OBG 13. I could now sell that for thousands of pounds if i kept it. Uh because in England you can keep your number plates uh and and uh, so so somebody who's uh who's Oscar uh, Benjamin uh uh Grunberg or whatever it is <laughs> would pay a thousand pounds for for a number plate like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, this is not relevant to so psychanalysis. I, <laughs> I had to ask.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned control cases and and, and probably immediately after you finished your training you used to work classically couch high frequency and so on did did that give you anything did it make you inspired or why did you give up
1: I started seeing borderline patients hmm. I developed an interest in in borderline patients uh, for several reasons not not mainly because um, they were uh, very prevalent in analytic um in you know in in certainly for analysts who couldn't charge very much uh they were the patients who were more likely to present uh, so all my membership cases um were borderline and they didn't do very well on the calf uh uh and uh I at the same time uh, started working with um, a guy called George Moran, uh, who was uh, a um, uh, who was the then not yet then uh, but who was doing his PhD with me, uh, doing his PhD um, uh, under my was my first PhD student, um, and uh, he and I had something called a Saturday Club. Uh, and the Saturday Club uh, was, he and I would meet, we were both junior analysts. Uh, and we would meet and we would talk honestly to each other about what didn't work. Not, you know, it was kind of peer supervision of a particular kind. Mm-hmm. Um where we just talk about cases where what we thought should work didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, it kind of gave us confidence uh, that you know it wasn't just me, kind of thing. And that's was the context in which mentalization-based treatment evolved. Uh, not not in any conscious way, but we changed our technique with each other, treating these young people who were. Uh, I was treating this uh, young woman who was um, diabetic. And very poorly controlled diabetes, and uh, had real difficulty in maintaining a blood glucose, and frequently hospitalised. And you know, and you know, every every time I made an interpretation, she got worse. Uh, uh, So um, we figured out that that wasn't the way to go. You know, that telling ourselves that maybe eventually these they will accumulate to something meaningful. And we then started talking to them about their lives uh, and about uh, what was troubling them uh, in the relationships they had and so on and so forth. And I remember one of George's patients, um, uh, uh, he wrote up, um, uh, was um, what was troubling her and what kind of came out was that her father was so worried about her diabetes that he uh, sat outside her door uh, uh, to make sure an adolescent girl sat outside her door, uh, worrying that he that she might you know go into uh, hypoglycemia or ketotic state or whatever, uh, and uh, parked himself there, which of course really upset her. And she couldn't find a way of telling him not to do that mm. uh, because her concern that you know with her own body and her own uh, sexual interest and whatever. Mm. Um, uh, so you know, George helped her uh, uh, just deal with that conflict and, and you know create a space around herself. Um, as a, as a, as a, as a as a growing woman with diabetes, uh, that nevertheless she was able to be herself um, uh, and diabetic at the same time without her, pa- her parents uh, intruding into her physical bodily uh, uh, privacy and uh, existence um, and and, and uh, we gradually found that to work better uh than uh, the traditional psychotic explanations about Oedipus and uh, her interest in her father for his sexuality or the, his father's interest in her sexuality uh we talked about more about their feelings about privacy and uh, uh and what needing to grow up and uh um how difficult it was um so that Created a, content, a change in content, but that didn't become uh, formalized uh, until we linked with attachment theory, um, uh, where we kind of formalized that interest. And then uh, I linked up with Anthony Bateman and 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 working formally with uh, uh, borderline people. But uh, I would say um, uh, that's that's and it's not a disillusionment with uh the technique i think uh the technique is perfectly good for people who are um, not very ill i think it's a lot more limited for people who whose capacity to mentalize is poor
3: hmm. lisa this seems to me like a perfect moment for one of the questions you were curious about
0: well um Yes, I have a question concerning um, medical assistance in dying. Um, uh, because in Canada, uh, in two thousand and sixteen, there was uh, legislation that was passed that um, you can request medical assistance in dying, and this made law um, is going to be made in, be accessible for people suffering from mental health disorders in two thousand twenty four. And I wanted to ask you, like working with individuals with mental health disorders, such as with borderline psychopathology, would you mind sharing your thoughts on the possible implications of such an option and what consequences do you think this might mean, especially for um, the patient group suffering from borderline psychopathology?
1: Well, I mean, quite simply, any pathology um, that is uh, very evidently possible to address even in very suicidal patients um, with uh, adequate psychotherapy is not appropriate for um, medically assisted dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, any doctor who assists a person like that is committing murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's maybe overly categorical, but uh, uh, I do feel that individuals who are suicidal are stigmatized by our society uh, and are often times not offered adequate assistance uh, Mm. because of that stigma Mm. Uh, they don't deserve assistance because they're bringing it all themselves Uh, and having being somebody whose own history includes quite severe suicidality um, at one point um uh, i had a very clear suicidal plan uh and uh, i knew what i was going to do uh and uh, uh i have a lot of empathy with people like that um mm-hmm. so if somebody assisted me to die then i would now be grateful for mm-hmm. i had a lot of good days between then and now mm-hmm. um yeah, i had some miserable days as well i'm not going to exaggerate <laughs> uh, uh I had a few good days, Um, Mm. so uh, uh, and I have two lovely kids, and uh, I'm still married, uh, you know. uh,
3: Mm.
1: So it it hasn't been bad. Uh, uh, So I would now be really cross from up there if somebody had assisted me to die uh, Mm. at that age. So uh, I'm very categorical, uh, as that's why I'm uh, quite categorical. Having said that, uh, there are people who suffer a great deal. Um, uh, there are people um, who suffer a great deal and are no longer able to request that kind of assistance, um, who have uh, severe dementia. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I uh am uh, far less certain uh that uh medically assisted dying is not appropriate for that group um i don't want i don't know what it's like to be inside the mind of someone like that uh i know if i project myself into that person and i imagine myself to be terrified every 10 minutes about where i am because i no longer recognize that Mm. i have been in here uh, for the last five years, uh, and I don't know, and I said, "Where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, where, you know, you know, whatever. Uh, where is this? Uh, uh, that can't be a nice. Uh, it's a permanent state of uh, uh, distress, and I, I have no difficulty in in thinking that I would far prefer to be dead than to be in that state." Mm-hmm. Have I answered
0: um, your question? yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, I just uh, find i I think personally it's a very like dangerous road to go down what's happening in Canada, especially for patients suffering from borderline psychopathology because um I yeah, experience suicidal ideation and it can come and go, and um, yeah, I just find it very worrying.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it it, it does, and uh, it's it, it's any doctor who, who who's found even one occasion to do that should be struck off. Mm. Uh, so I, I I have no, yeah, it's it's I'm not worried about it. I'm mm. cross about it.
0: <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> um, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sure. No. Please go. It's another question.
3: I just wanted to say, that it was my impression a couple of minutes ago, that you see mentalization-based treatment as one part of psychoanalysis, that you see them as one thing and not two strictly divided approaches. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. But I have to be honest, and I see that as a critical part of cognitive behavior therapy, as a critical part of systemic therapy, a critical part of humanistic therapy, Mm -hmm. I see it everywhere I look, I see mentalizing. It's just like, uh, 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 so that's, I think, it's a sign of an infection, probably. Um, The the bug of mentalizing has gone. So I would say it's an aspect of psychoanalysis. I wouldn't say uh, it is psychoanalysis. And I would say, I wouldn't even say, you know, that's the only thing that makes psychoanalysis effective or even the major thing that makes psychoanalysis effective. And some would say that it makes psychoanalysis accessible uh, in the classical form to people, so helping people be, recover, mentalizing maybe a phase of an analytic process, uh, an early phase of an analytic process, uh, like
3: preparation for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and I would I disagree with that. I, I think what analysts are often not aware of and are poorly trained in, if I may say. And I, I, I I don't like being critical uh, and it's not my thing uh, uh, and it sounded it came out as critical uh, and I didn't intend it like that uh, but I think what analysts are sometimes not trained adequately to recognize is when their patients lost the capacity to mentalize so they hammer them on the head hoping that they hammering on the head will help them recover mentalizing mm-hmm. and what they don't do adequately is take a step back. See in MBT we train people. Who when you notice that your patient is not mentalizing, we we train them to actually. But there's a time to pull back mm-hmm. and enable and help the person recover mentalizing. Your role is not to give them insight, because they can't understand what you're saying. Your role is enable them to think and to feel comprehensively and fully and that's what people don't get trained in uh if, in my view adequately um so a little bit of mbt training as part of as a part of analytic training to me would be good mm. have i ever ever been asked by the british cyclonic society to do any training no. or even give a lecture no mm. not, not a lecturer no, not even a wow. lecture nothing uh uh, uh and you know it's, it's you feel a bit more like um uh Dracula or whatever <laughs> <Cheap>. <laughs> uh, uh so uh, i i i i don't know uh, um what
2: about other other societies besides the british one because we know the british one as the um, um this um, center of what I call, them, most of my Latin American colleagues colleagues call the psychoanalytic telenovela, no? where you get the controversial discussions and this part, it's that one, and uh, they write against each other or they talk against each other, uh, which makes for us Latin Americans psychoanalysis so much more, you know, <laughs> tasty uh, and, and, uh, and fun. Uh, but what about other schools of psychoanalysis, maybe outside
1: Britain? Have they been a bit more open to the idea of mentalizing, the practice of it? Latin in America mostly, actually, I would say. Um, United States, no, not really. Uh, uh, Canada, more. Um, Europe, patches, but Europe is not you know a single place. It's it's very different in very different places.
3: But when you um, refer to these places, do you, are you referring to psychoanalytic institutes, certain societies yes. there?
1: Yeah. I'm talking about psychoanalytic institutes. Uh, um, so people who have been psychoanalytically trained or members of the institute becoming interested in mentalizing, rather than uh, people who have trained in clinical psychology or systemic therapy. People like that drift towards mentalizing because they're working with patients and it's a skill to acquire that helps you to work with patients, so you know that you can also learn about EMDR you know, and you can learn about MBT you know so, uh so uh it's uh it's helpful but uh and our view is my view is very deeply um uh, that we don't have the answer uh, we don't even have an answer. We have something in MBT that might be helpful occasionally, in the course of a treatment. Uh, uh, that God knows what makes. No, I don't want to blame him or her, uh, but you know something makes uh, uh, patients get better. Uh, nobody really knows what it is. Uh, very many different therapies work. I think mentalizing at different times helps a little bit. Uh, and that's really all I would claim for it. It does happen, I suppose,
2: uh, in people who who work as clinicians that they see in the concept of mentalizing something that they are kind of doing already. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's circumscribed and gives it some technical coherence. But that you say, like, oh, I'm getting paid to
1: actually do that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, bizarre if it wasn't so, because uh, <laughs> it's such a basic human. I mean, now no that um, uh, the part of the brain that's busy uh, when it's not doing anything is the mentalizing network. Uh, so uh, 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 this is the way humans think. Uh, what's called the default mode network is the mentalizing network. It's overlapping with it. And that's what hap- what's active when people in the scanner not doing anything. They're thinking about mental states. Uh, their own or other people. So you know, it'd be very odd if psychotherapists did something different. Nice. Uh, uh, so it's, this, uh,
3: has, this yeah. has profound consequences for our understanding of the hectic pace of the 21st century and all of the distractions we are suffering from almost at any moment.
1: It it does have uh, that we we don't give enough time for ourselves to reflect yeah. and to just let the brain. I'm optimistic about it though I would say um uh that these are such profound um genetic predispositions that there's nothing that uh, a few kind of social uh habits can do to undo them uh yeah there are some threats I would say uh, artificial intelligence being one uh uh, pretty profound but i uh, i would say um uh the hectic pace um you yeah, people get tired of the hectic pace uh it's just that the brain gets tired <laughs> uh they they kind of settle down and um, easy thing anyway uh, i don't know but you're right uh we are the the possibility to drift in some respects towards inadequate mentalizing is there, but in the modern in the structure of modern society, I, I would say more in the social inequality side than in the, the uh, than in uh, the hectic things.
2: No, we're just uh, before we connected. We were just talking about this: uh, how mentalizing and particularly epistemic trust that's concepts that. Are I mean they have their origin in clinical work, etc. Yeah. How they open to the social environment, they, um, the the widened society, etc. Marks a little bit the limits of our practice, being, it's like therapy or psychoanalysis. Uh, but also gives opportunities for those other things in psychology that we don't take that seriously. I I do equal basically, but prevention. Uh, ways providing environments in a certain way, uh, development, etc. Yeah. Apart from finding that mentalizing is something that you already do in therapy, it is something that makes life better outside therapy. Mm.
1: A good thing. A good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. You were extremely modest at the very beginning, introducing yourself in a couple of sentences but you contributed so much to the research literature and to to uh, theoretical aspects of psychoanalysis. What would you single out? What do you consider your most important contributions? Which ones do you still enjoy? Uh,
1: I wrote a paper uh, on thinking about thinking, which is, yeah. I, I uh, uh, you know, that's what I feel kind of proud of. Um, um, I also feel, um, uh, proud of uh not necessarily my uh important almost uh, contribution not even my contribution but of bringing um evidence-based practice to psychoanalysis um and psychotherapy um in many countries um it would be worse off uh, if uh we hadn't worked hard to collect some data uh, about the effectiveness of second therapy, second therapy, and uh, um, uh, I think it was a group effort of a number of people at a certain point of historical time when we kind of stood up against the mainstream psychoanalysts uh, and said, "Look, um, it's time uh, that we started looking seriously how effective." Whole thing is, and I, I feel you know. For example, in this country, um, there is a, a service called Improved Access to Psychological Therapies. Now, the uh, Talking therapist service has been renamed, and uh, um, it's uh, um, it includes um, uh, psychological psychotherapy or dynamic interpersonal therapy because we've done empirical research on that and because we've got a randomised controlled trial. And if we didn't, uh, it wouldn't, but it's provided free. Um, and there is a very, quite heavy demand uh, for t- to train people in dynamic interpersonal therapy uh, as a consequence. People want to be trained in it because you get reimbursed, that's where you get paid uh, to use that. So it's kind of interacted uh, with things. Um, uh, so th- th- if I had to identify two things, then it would be the um, uh, thinking about thinking and uh, 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 doing randomised control trials of therapy
3: I just imagine I cannot know, but I imagine that most people. Connect your name with attachment, mentalization, and epistemic trust as concepts. You haven't mentioned any of
1: them. I mean, the mentalizing is there uh, in the thinking about thinking paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Attachment, uh, I think um, I was an attachment theorist for a good 15 years of my life, maybe longer. I'm still. Uh, committed to it, and I still write about it occasionally, but I am uh, seeing it as much more like a narrowing band. You, it's, it's, it's um makes you ignore uh, attachments, if you like, outside of the dyadic. Outside uh, makes you ignore, as uh, Nico was talking about earlier, the kind of the broader social context. Uh, which is, a, I think, a problem, and then I feel that it 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 didn't help me with. Um, and epistemic trust comes from that recognition. It's more recent. It needs much more empirical work. Uh, as an idea, it's good. Uh, it needs really to be properly hammered out. And I'm glad that a lot of people are working on it. Uh, but um, uh, yeah,
2: do you think? Um- Within the psychoanalytic institutes, what you know about them, uh, the uh, attitude, let's say, towards empirical research, has it changed in the last, let's say, 30 years? Or because I know, for example, that there is a pushback. I mean, uh, the the empirical the studies of psychoanalysis, of course, have been really useful. Also, psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic therapy really useful to reposition Psychoanalysis as a clinical alternative, particularly in public contexts, which is amazing, in my opinion. But within the institutes, I've seen that some people have published things just clearly against empirical research, clearly against uh, neurobiological, imaging uh, insights. Have you seen it changing? Is it it stuck? And the age average also of people training in. Incidents all over the world, we've seen with Alexander. It's getting older and older, yeah. older
1: and older yeah. I and mean, you know whether you seen any change. Do you think it could happen in that? You know, I mean, I have. i seen a change. Yes, I have. In the British Institute, I started a, a research committee, uh, which was this, uh, and that went on with a number of chairs, long after I stopped chairing it. Um, a number of years, uh, it's then then it's abolished. In abolished. Mm. Uh, it got abolished. I don't I wasn't by then there to see uh, uh, why, but it was abolished. Um, uh, which just kind of speaks to the the phenomenon that you're speaking to. Uh, I do believe that there is a. As psychoanalysis in the institutes has, and most institutes stopped training analysts, and they started training psychotherapists in, in honesty, because the practice of psychoanalysis as five times a week, or even four times a week, has diminished uh, and has been replaced by two or three times a week psychotherapy at best. Um, I think uh, uh, there, uh it's inevitable that they became their lives became more uh governed by the external reality of empirical and empirical reality. Uh and they couldn't avoid it anymore. So I think I can understand a the theoretical push against it. Uh, because nobody likes reality. Uh, so you know it's 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 too much reality about I want to push against it. Uh, so I uh, I will push against this state of reality. Does it matter to me? No, not really. Uh, it's you know, reality is there, unfortunately. As, no. uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, one might start liking reality after all. Right? I don't know. That's not very common. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's uh it's it's a it's a it's a fantasy that psychoanalysis um, as a therapeutic orientation can exist without considering the benefit. I think psychoanalysis is an enormous amount to contribute to uh, making sure that what we measure are not symptoms, um, not distress simply, Uh, because at the moment uh, what is measured um, is what's easy to measure, uh, which is distress. But let you measure the difficult things. Uh, I mean, I always wanted to say that you know a, a good therapeutic outcome is a person's sense of humor improving. Uh, if their sense of humor doesn't improve, the therapy was a failure. Uh, why is that matter? Because uh, as Freud said, uh, there's no humor without aggression. If you if you don't have a sense of humor, you can't tolerate aggression. Uh, you tolerate aggression, you know. You're starting to laugh. um So you know, it's all it's built into the theory. Freud, 1904 or 1905, I can't I remember. I'm anyway, groups sure and their relation to the unconscious. I'm sure Alexander knows the date.
3: Well, the very beginning of the 20th century, no doubt. But I'm
1: not <laughs> <laughs> here <laughs> uh, Anyway, um uh, so it's, it's it's you know, it's one of the first things that Freud discovered was how closely. Uh, the libido is linked to laughing. Uh, and if people don't laugh, they're not linked to the libido. If they don't laugh, they're not linked uh, to aggression. Uh, so uh, uh, that that's how it we fail.
2: We uh, wait to see it. Uh,
1: but we don't measure sense of humor. Uh, uh, but I actually personally always do. It, when I do assessments, I try and make my patients uh, at least smile. In a very um, tentative way, and in a in a way that's uh, always self-effacing. Uh, but I see a joke about myself, about my age, my hair, I you know something uh, about me. And if it makes them smile, I think that's good. Mm. They could laugh at me. They could laugh at me. Then I can treat them. If they can't laugh at me, it's much much more difficult. There is a there is a
2: 15-minute video, let's say, in the yeah. YouTube channel of the Anna Freud in which Anthony Bateman is with a real patient,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's a 15 minutes that go really dark at some point, etc. and the patient starts getting a little bit uh, dysregulated, and it ends with a joke, and it mm-hmm. closes so well, That yeah. is what you're, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, marvelous, and it has to do with such yeah. of tumor. Explain so
1: well, and I think. Uh, do you think there is something empirical way to measure this? I'm sure there is, and I'm sure it's not going to be me that uh, it's going to be some hapless uh, master's student at the <laughs> EU that uh, gets burdened yeah. with this task. Uh,
3: there is research on humor, I, I'm, I'm not really familiar with it, but I know there are people around the globe who are doing something about psychology. So,
1: I I don't have any studies, Alex, that actually use this as a measure of psychotherapy outcome.
3: Do you? No, not no psychotherapy, but but people are interested in where yeah. comes from and different types and so on.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 is I'm sure true am assuming linked to the therapeutic relationship. Being able to laugh at your therapist or at least smile at your therapist, I think is a clear indication that you're you've done well in the therapy. Uh, that, that, going back to my first analysis, that was one of the things that, uh, that uh, uh, really uh, uh, true, drew me to true. Uh, Anne Hurry, had a sense of humor. She laughed at my jokes for a start, and then she made jokes as well. She made me laugh. Having
3: heard you speak so fondly of your analyst, I'm curious about your possible. Intellectual academic mentors or supervisors or people you learn from how to become a scientist and so on.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are, there is, in, in the analytic world, Alex, there's um, one person, well, two, uh, who uh, really influenced me. The person who influenced me most is uh, Joseph Sandler, unquestionably, uh, who I think is one of the great unrecognized thinkers of the psychology community. And I, I, uh, I uh, when I was asked, I no longer am. But then I was asked to teach at uh, the Institute of Science. I was asked to teach about Joseph Sander, yes. um, but I think they cancelled those lectures as well. Not just because of me; they canceled, They cancelled. It wasn't uh, of Joe Sander wasn't sufficient interest. And what he did um, was really uh, try and systematize and minimize analytic theory, make it. Um, Uh, not to carry such massive weight of assumptions, but actually to get it into a a format and shape that um, uh, could travel more easily towards other disciplines, that could travel uh, across orientation. So his theory, his formulation, could travel from a classical Freudian, to an Anna Freudian, to an ego psychology, to a fine uh, orientation, quite easily. Uh, uh, because it got rid of a lot of the, and that's his state of the representational world. Uh, but nobody teaches it anymore, uh, as far as I know. Uh, but that was uh, a major uh, intellectual uh I would say I still use his ideas and I'm still influenced by them. It says I haven't outgrown them in any way. Um uh and uh um uh on the uh uh on my kind of other side, um it's it's less easy to identify um Someone, but someone like Ellen Kestin, uh, who probably none of you know, uh no, he burns me know. a lot. He's a child psychologist uh, who's president of the American Psychological Association, but um, he um, wrote about evaluating child therapy and was a, kind of an outcomes person, and not was a, his original training was his CBT, but was very very open. other orientations including the analytic and uh, uh, was director of uh, the Yale Child Study Center for a while Mm -hmm. after um, uh, Donald Cohen died and he was the first non-analyst director of the Yale Child Study Center and I have to say that he did his term uh, but uh, the way that the analysts treated him uh, at the Child Study Center was really not good, because he was very open in his mind, but they weren't very open to him, uh, because because his, he was uh, for two reasons. One, he was a psychologist, uh, not a, a psychiatrist, or, or a physician, um, and the other is that because his original training was in CBT. And how did he actually influence
3: your work? Sorry, how did he actually influence your work?
1: is my my attitude to evaluation of uh, psychological therapies is uh, very influenced by uh, his attitude of measurement and openness and manualization and uh, what he wrote about and and also single session uh, looking at single session outcomes and uh, 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 single case studies and uh, a lot of the things that uh, uh, I believe in in terms of evaluating psychotherapy actually are originally his ideas. Uh, and I've borrowed it from him and imported it into the kind of psychology community, pretending it was all my idea. Yeah. Uh, i mean, really here you know, in Japan. So, as I always say, uh, Sandler uh, and Alan Kerstin would be the two people.
3: Have you ever worked? I know you have been in contact, but have you ever worked with John Bowlby or studied with him?
1: I, I John Bowlby, I was at the, I was uh, as a junior lecturer at UCL, uh, appointed as the uh, college liaison officer uh, to the uh, Freud Memorial Professor, and uh, uh, that. Uh, uh, was because I was interested in psychoanalysis and I was a lecturer in psychology. Uh, and there was nobody else who was interested in psycho- psychoanalysis in, in the psychology department. So uh, it wasn't through any other um, attribute except that, that I was appointed in this august position. And John Bowlby was a Freud Memorial professor. So uh, for a year also uh, I worked with him quite closely organized his seminars organized his lectures uh, uh get got his uh, audiences together uh i was um, put in charge of being the, the person who arranged you know it was an administrative post really uh but i worked with him then uh, and um, he was very nice to me uh, i and uh, the only influence i had on his work uh was uh introducing him to some uh, work on perception uh uh on low signal to noisy issue stimuli uh uh and uh, uh it found its way into is that he was writing at the time he was writing the third volume of his trilogy and uh, uh he uh, actually includes not me but includes the literature that i referred him to the third volume of his trilogy. Um, so uh, that that was the closest I got, and I interviewed him um, as well uh, for the uh, Institute of Psychoanalysis at the time. Uh, was that ever published? The interview uh, is a is a video interview. Um, so I think it's there in the archives, somewhere of the archives of the British Psychoanalytic Society. Um, uh, it's uh, uh, wasn't the best interview ever. Uh but, uh, but he talked about his work and uh uh-huh. it was it was it was a friendly interview. But, uh, not not very searching. Uh anyway, it was, it, in awe of him.
2: Yeah, but I imagine that you would be in awe.
1: Yeah,
2: Do you guys have more questions? I would like to...
3: Sorry, it seems like my phone is now... The battery is getting low. I have all sorts of technological problems today. I want to ask you something about your vision of the future of Cycronium. Where do you think it's going? How might it develop? What you would like to change about it?
2: yeah
1: i so i i think um it should stay uh, a, a pretty much what it is uh I, I don't want it to change dramatically i think as a way of discovering uh things about the human mind in a phenomenological context it is unparalleled uh and the kind of intensive search for the mind um is Absolutely brilliant and fortunately hasn't changed a lot. Uh over you know the technical uh parts change little. I, I don't think uh that uh we will discover um very much more um uh, that's to do uh with uh, things like the uh unconscious or uh the, the ego you know, the content wise I think uh we have made the discoveries that we are going to make. I think that discoveries are going to be made in adjacent human oriented sciences in in more often and um uh, with greater um uh, I think uh with uh, uh, far greater impact on, on, on all of our lives uh, in artificial intelligence, in all kinds, neuroscience, in all kinds of areas. What I think psychoanalysis should be there for is to study the impact of these new discoveries on uh, the human mind phenomenologically. Mm. Uh, what impact? Say, you mentioned earlier, Alex, the hectic nature of uh, modern society. Mm -hmm. That's a change. What impact does it have on mental function? Mm -hmm. And I think for that, or what impact does, uh, for that matter, Zoom that we are enjoying at the moment have on human function? Mm -hmm. What impact um, does uh, a greater understanding of the mind have on you? As a laboratory of uh, understanding ourselves as human beings, I think psychoanalysis knows no parallels. I think it's a lot better than a questionnaire. And it comes up a lot deeper insights, provides a lot deeper insights than uh, a a structured interview. Um, So as long as uh, we focus on what we are good at uh, as psychoanalysts, which is studying the nature of the impact of uh, the world on the individual mind. The social world, the physical world, Mm. uh, changing in its understanding of itself and changing uh, in the way it presents itself to us. Mm. As long as we focus on that, uh, I think uh, we are uh, we're going to be alive and a discipline forever. I think if we try and pretend that we're still in the uh, early 1900s and try and rediscover the mind again and again and again, we are in deep trouble because there are other methods that have overtaken us uh, in those domains that do it better than we do. Mm-hmm. At the time that we started doing it, aggression uh, is uh, could be best discovered. You know, unconscious could be best discovered through psychologic psychotherapy. Now, unconscious, much better seen in a scanner, much more clearly seen in a scanner, uh, much more easily understood and interpreted. So we have to give way to other sciences at the same time as we actually just acknowledge uh, uh, the uh, superiority, we claim our superiority in a more in a braver way than we do up to now. There is a thought
3: in Eric Kandel that, I, I don't remember it word by word, that neuroscientists need psychoanalysis in order to be able to understand their findings. Does that make sense to you?
1: That's exactly the kind of thing that I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the physical observation of uh, um, things lighting up when somebody's not aware of them, Mm that the the same bit of the brain lights up, uh, processing something when they're not aware of it, and it makes a difference whether it's meaningful or not. That clearly people are extracting meaning from things that they're not aware of. Mm -hmm. Now, what context does it mean anything? And what context, what is the implication of that? Uh, for uh, people's daily functioning, that's not going to ever be revealed fully uh, by neuroscience, you know. And the same applies to the experience of emotion, the complexity of emotion, everything, every aspect, every important, you know. You're not going to, you know, uh, you know, dust, you know, you know, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky. These things are not going to be written by neuroscience. Uh, the, the, the complexity of human self and interpersonal awareness is not going to unfold uh, in a scanner. Uh, that's going to unfold in the close study of another mind.
3: This sounds like, like a very optimistic image for the future of psychoanalysis. I'm curious whether you are still a member of any of psychoanalytic institutions or associations and how, how do you see, do you see their future as optimistically?
1: No, uh, is the single word answer. I see psychoanalysis as having a great future, as, a, as an understanding, as a science. Psychoanalytic institutes do have ups and downs. Uh, and I pay my membership dues for a British Psychoanalytic Society. I pay my membership dues to the um uh British uh, Confederation or whatever they call them, the British Psychologic Uh Council, it's called British Psycholytic Council, I pay my membership dues. Um and uh they always suggest I should retire. And I always say I'm not retired, I'm still practicing. Uh uh and uh so uh I don't take advantage of uh, the the elderly get this uh, benefit, uh, and and I also on the buses I could travel free, but I never travel free on the buses. I'm still employed. Um, so um, uh, the uh, so but does this mean that psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic
3: institutions in England and Britain would like you retired? Would like you not publishing? Asking? and so on
1: i don't know i mean that's that makes me makes me sound more important than i am i mean you know it's Mm. not it's not that they care one way or another it's really um Mm. uh, they have benign neglect i would say uh they don't care uh whether i'm there or not um it's and i don't mind uh we kind of coexist much the same way that people kind of who exist and they live in that in apartments next door to each other and they don't, you know they say hello when they meet, uh, but they don't really care what happens in the other apartment and they don't care what happens with me and you know and I think that's fine. Uh, I don't I don't want to. The last thing I want to do is to influence psychoanalysis. Uh, I don't you know I, as I said I mentioned. It would be good if analysts were a little bit more aware of when their patients are no longer mentalizing, when they see that. But, you know, uh, they do what they do, and that's fine, Uh, and I I admire it. They, sometimes I am slightly worried or anxious. Institutionally, they um, uh, do not, are not as aware, as aware of their limitations as they should be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That they 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 claim to be able to do things that I don't think they can, mm-hmm. and that really refers to the treatment of uh, uh, more severe mental disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, but that's I don't think that to claim that in a blanket critical way would be wrong. Uh, I don't think that everyone is like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that that, that does happen, um, and that's an institution. Um,
0: speaking about the psycholytic training, uh, I wanted to ask you if there is something special that you would think would be valuable for someone who is about to enter psycholytic uh, training to keep in mind.
1: Uh, yes. Um, Openness, Mm -hmm. I would say in one word. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Openness, which has, implies within it, I was talking about before um, as well, it's um, openness and honesty with yourself. Uh, Just going to the places where you least want to go to. Mm -hmm. That's the most interesting bit. Uh, if you want to go into therapy, go into therapy not to treat your difficulties, not to get better at uh, socializing or better academically or whatever. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's not fun. Go to therapy so that you can talk about the things that you don't want to talk about even to yourself. But talk about that to another person. Mm-hmm. That's really what I think. Uh, so, you know, talk about the things that you feel most ashamed of, that you least want to talk about. And that, I think, opens your mind to a whole host of things that you really didn't know that existed. You open your minds to little corners within yours, but at the same time, you open your mind to a whole slew of things um, in other people's minds
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and uh, a way of experiencing your life that's far fuller than you ever thought possible. Um, so, uh, and, and that's, it, it'll just make you have a better life. Uh Don't go to therapy to solve problems. Um, Go to therapy because you are curious, because you want to discover, uh, because you're not really satisfied with knowing as little as you do.
0: Cool. Thank you. How does that sound, Lisa? Sorry?
3: How does that sound?
0: It sounds exciting, very exciting. Um, A little bit intimidating also, but also very exciting. I wanted to ask also. I mean, this uh, question is probably for three of you. But do you sometimes? I mean, do you sometimes regret the choice of becoming a psychoanalyst? What are the downsides? <laughs> Sorry to be negative.
2: <laughs> I would have liked to be a rock star. To be there. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think uh, in my case, I don't. I think it's uh, it's great, and uh, it allows me to feel useful. On one hand, I like it as yeah. I read and find it interesting and entertaining. Maybe entertaining is not the best word to talk about this thing, but I have to be honest, it's entertaining. Uh, and I think psychoanalysis has this thing, like maybe in its history, that it's been always open to other disciplines and sciences, some of them not even connected to mental health, like art. Mm-hmm. Uh, all kinds of art and that to me is uh is priceless it's one of the things that i like the most about uh, psychoanalysis not only because i get to work with patients in a certain way but because i see some of the things i like the most music uh, visual arts from that perspective and it really it works kind of uh in a a two-way street so Mm -hmm. I and get enriched by psychoanalysis and I get enriched by the arts or humanities. I I love that about psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. The important people should answer that question too.
1: (laughs) Alex, do you ever get disappointed, frustrated with it? Um, Nothing
3: makes me as curious as listening to patients, as thinking about the unconscious. I have never discovered anything, although I like many other things in life, that I'm so curious about. I suffer from a problem in recent years that I think the more I understand psychoanalysis and the more I understand patients, the less I understand psychoanalytic institutions. I, I feel sometimes that they are boring at best, and that is my disappointment. Psychoanalysis as a community does not develop nearly in nearly as interesting ways as some individual psychoanalysts whom I'm reading to. But working with patients, never. I mean, I never regret.
1: I, I would echo both of what, what you just said uh, very, very much. Uh, I mean, um and I don't I don't think I've ever regretted uh training or, or doing or any and I, mean, I don't think I'm very grateful for it um uh even when I don't um practice it it's intensive psychoanalysis I don't I don't practice it anymore but uh I'm still pleased that I could do it if I wanted to do it mm-hmm. uh, uh, sometimes um, I say I'd be very honest. Okay, I'm, I'm now. This is the, as honest as I can be. So it's just, this is. I sometimes I'm disappointed by in, in individual psychoanalysts. Uh, not in not as a community. As I said, I I like the dialogue. I like the discourse. That's great. Mm-hmm but there are some individuals who claim, claim they are psychoanalysts, but they're not to my mind uh, embodying the principles that i consider to be you know other psychedelic principles and that that that's when those moments i i sometimes uh, i regret that we belong to the same tribe mm-hmm. to see what i mean mm-hmm. That's that they, they are individuals. And I know it's, taken... it's dishonesty yeah. and
3: things
0: like
3: that. Mm-hmm. I know we've taken so much of your time, but I would like only to ask you to tell us something about your future plans. What is it that you're working on at this moment? And what would you like to work on in the coming year? Where do you see the the most important points? For your work and for our visit.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I I don't know whether I can uh, um, answer that question fully. I just got my UCL my job at uh, uh, UCL renewed for another five years, so uh, I'm going to be here uh, in this office managing a large division of psychology and language sciences for another five years. which is great. i mean, it's a privilege, and I enjoy it. And uh, they they pay me for answering emails, basically, uh, uh, is what it is. Um, I'm sure about that. <laughs> uh, uh, so um, I have an administrative job that in you know, a top university that I do enjoy, um, uh, and it's very nice uh for a psychoanalyst to be running a department a division with about 300 staff that uh, people know i'm a psychoanalyst and that doesn't seem to you know it gives a little bit of respectability to the profession i, I like to think that you know they can it, you know it's following the psychoanalyst but it, you know it seems like, like a reasonable guy you know he it doesn't it's not it's not a, it's not, it doesn't have horns or you know a tail or you know uh uh it's Just a human being. Um, So that that is is is, I I find, uh, and I'd like to do that. I'd like to carry on doing that uh, uh, for the next five years, uh, which is a kind of popularization of psychoanalysis in a in a very um, human, very low level uh, of just people accepting that there is somebody who's a scientist in a in a scientific department that. Does psychoanalysis, uh, and I, one of the things I'm most proud of is that some idiot from uh, Scotland somewhere, I'm not but distinguished fellow of the Royal Society, wrote to UCL to say, how can UCL have a psychoanalysis unit with that professor of psychoanalysis? How is that possible in this, you know, in this? And uh, uh, the then provost. Sent me the uh, uh, the letter and replied saying that actually we find this particular part of the university very productive and uh, mm-hmm. they have uh, uh, publication records that equals any other part of the department. The uh, division they have a, an income record in terms of grants. So you know we have no plans to uh, change. Uh, uh, anyway, so I felt that that was very gratifying. um so I intend to continue that, uh, but um, in terms of the future of psychoanalysis, I'm, I'm, uh, my own, uh, you know, uh, interests um, in, in, in uh, social issues are increasing. So I'm um, uh, more concerned, more worried, more um, uh, exercised by what we can do as psychoanalysts, as clinicians, as mental health professionals, as psychologists or whatever, in uh, improving uh, uh, the way that society functions.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'd like to, you know, of the things that I want to do, that's what I'd like to do. I don't know. Unfortunately, we have a skills deficit here, uh, I don't really know how to do it. Uh, but. Uh, I'd like to do it if I paid. That's my more suggest.